I think there is a, a real inflection point here as a result of COVID-19 where the entire business model is going to be turned upside down and really uh, to benefit the patient. This is The ACO Show, a podcast about value-based care and the people who are making it happen. I'm Josh Israel. For this show, I talked to Sanjay Dodamani, who is the chief physician executive for a large healthcare network in the Dallas area. Dr. Dodamani has worked in some of the foremost institutions involved in designing and providing new models of healthcare, including Geisinger and Medicare's Innovation Center. And we talked about what he's seen over his career, about the evolution of value-based care, and some of the ways that it's helped the healthcare system be prepared to cope with a challenge like coronavirus. This is Josh Israel, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr. Sanjay Dodamani. Dr. Dodamani, you are a cardiologist by background, but I know that right now you are a physician executive at the Southwestern Health Resources, the clinically integrated network for University of Texas Southwestern and Texas Health Resources in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Can you describe that health network for us? I can, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. SWHR, Southwestern Health Resources, is the clinically integrated network uh, for over 5,000 academic community and independent primary care and specialty physicians uh, supporting uh, uh, practices as well as the 29 hospitals uh, managing the care of over 700,000 patients and members within the network in the North Texas, Dallas Metroplex area. You've had a long career already in value-based care, including working at Geisinger, specifically Geisinger at Home, and at Medicare's Innovation Center. I'd love if you could describe what value-based care means to you and also how you've seen it evolve over your career. Oh, that's a great question. What I will tell you is that, uh, you know, for me, it was never about the formal uh, training in population health. As a physician, I really recognized that there were so many unmet needs especially when caring for patients with chronic illness, such as heart failure. And so over my career, I really looked to finding uh, solutions within the practice or within sort of their uh, benefit plan that uh, we could invoke that could address social determinants. And I was very fortunate uh, that progressively through my uh, career, uh, moving um, into safety net environment, I also worked in a large integrated delivery system in a uh, underserved area. I started off at Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx and in um, uh, sort of a, a public benefit corporation where there were a lot of not only medical complexity, but also uh, a, a great degree of uh, social challenges that I realized how integrated our value-based uh, care approaches needed to be and that uh, Ultimately, not only was the care delivery needing to be changed, but the financial incentives uh, that uh, providers and systems, you know, required uh, to uh, align well with the approach of uh, keeping people healthy as opposed to purely uh, managing sick care. A lot of people think of the government as a stodgy institution, but for those of us who work in healthcare, it's apparent that some of the uh, most innovative things have actually come out of Medicare. Uh, and specifically CMMI, also known as Medicare's Innovation Center. Can you describe what that place is and what your work there was? Uh, to answer that, I'm going to just actually give you a more broader context about uh, the fact that if you look uh, across the payer landscape, 
really uh, the commercial line of business has been progressively shrinking and uh, government programs or products, whether it's Medicare fee-for-service or Medicare Advantage, has really become the dominant uh, payer, even though it's administered through uh, a private insurance and so uh, in, in some instances. And so uh, to that end, if you look at MA plans in 2015, I don't think a single one of them had or offered social determinant support. Fast forward to 2020, where over 120 plans have very significant benefits that are designed in uh, that support uh, social uh, services, covered uh, products and tools that will help patients and members. And so uh, there has been that. And then even before that, provider groups uh, recognize the opportunity to change their financial incentives. Um, by managing medical expense in a way that incentivized upstream care and uh, was more responsive and much more patient-centered as well as flexible. And it's really this flexibility that was born out of CMS through the Innovation Center or CMMI, uh, where innovation models have been developed that can um, uh, incent uh, physicians, practices, hospitals uh, to develop um, innovative uh, care uh, delivery models that are uh, financially uh, incentivized by uh, the center. I was deeply inspired by a model of care that was around home and a home-based uh, um, medical care uh, developed for seniors uh, by Adam Bowler when he ran Landmark Health. And so when he joined CMMI to lead innovation, we connected and I eventually moved over into a senior advisor role at the center. I also supported him in value-based transformation efforts uh, and his value-based transformation efforts uh, to the secretary. It was a great place, um, really incredibly talented and dedicated people. What's so interesting is that many of our current leaders in the private sector really had uh, significant stints in government. Uh, when you look at uh, uh, Dr. Mustashari uh, Farzad, uh, as well as Sean Kavanaugh, who lead Allidade, uh, they were in government, uh, albeit not at CMMI. Uh, Will Shrank at Humana, who's the chief medical officer, was at CMMI, as was uh, Dr. Sachin Jain from Caremore and Aspire. So I really think, uh, um, you know, I'm very grateful uh, for the short time I spent at the center learning and contributing to their uh, sort of process of, of developing uh, ideas and then uh, moving towards a, a model construct, recognizing that many of these ideas don't necessarily go on to become innovation models. Uh, one of those uh, efforts was around provider transparency and clinical appropriateness, for example. It did not end up becoming a model. Or rather, it's being incorporated into the Centers for Program Integrity at CMS. So there's many ways to contribute, and I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the exposure, learning, and I think uh, um, relationship building while I was at uh, the center. Where you are now at Southwestern Health Resources, are there particular areas of focus in terms of innovation and value-based care? So we are very aligned with the, I think, the broad mission that, uh, for example, the Innovation Center at CMMI has very similarly and CMS. We want physicians to spend more time with their patients. We want to reduce the burden of paperwork. We want to streamline processes, enhance communication, and really support patients throughout the continuum. For example, we've administered and have helped implement uh, EMR costs for hundreds of small practices to be on a uniform platform. We also have a, a population platform tool uh, that helps with our data insights and analytics that supports the network. Uh, we are going into a very robust uh, uh, creation of a medical economics 
a wing to really look at uh, very significant uh, uh, inflections and trends in, in medical expense, but at the same time looking to up our game in terms of being able to provide and support uh, our members and patients within the network with the resources that they need depending on their um, medical complexity or uh, their social challenges uh, or their uh, uh, frail and advanced age. And so it, uh, this way we can scale, but also dose appropriately with the kinds of interventions and be able to afford uh, to, um, to do these at scale. Medicare, as I'm sure you know, makes a distinction between high revenue accountable care organizations, which are typically systems that contain hospital systems, and low revenue accountable care organizations, which are predominantly independent outpatient primary care physicians. Uh, and the reason for that is that there's an inherent tension in a system that's trying to reduce the cost of care, where one of the main ways of reducing the cost of care is to uh, lower hospitalization rates, reduce emergency department presentations, and hospital systems have some internal tension, some conflict, where if they reduce hospital stays, they may be reducing their revenue. So I'd love to get your, your thoughts, particularly now that you're part of a clinically integrated network that contains hospital system. And especially now we are speaking, obviously, in the midst of this COVID epidemic, where we're all more aware than ever that there, there is a, a real need in the system for acute care beds. Uh, very well said, because for us, the focus is on doing what's right for the patient. I am very fortunate that within our network of 5,000 providers, we have uh, more than a third of these practices outside of the hospital uh, systems, so to speak, uh, uh, really a conglomeration of independent practices all working together uh, within the, the network. And at the same time, recognizing that we need our acute care hospitals to be bustling with activity uh, so that they can provide advanced therapies for cancer, for um, cardiac, for neurosurgery and other you know, medical and surgical uh, complex care that could not be done outside of the four walls of a hospital. That being said, the COVID crisis is a great uh, and exemplary um, uh, sort of example of uh, that need being uh, met by having adequate uh, intensive care unit beds across the network and having the expertise as well as uh, the support. Now, what's interesting is our added level of population-based care, our care coordination, our case managers, our social workers, making sure that these patients who are COVID positive um, you know, and are now home, uh, have, uh, you know, um, food that they uh, are being cared for, that they've received their medications. And so I think this is really a beautiful marriage between the population needs, the community practices, and the acute care needs, as well as the, the hospital infrastructure to be able to support the sickest patients when they do need it. What's been the impact so far of COVID-19? in the Dallas-Fort Worth area? Uh, so when I look uh, to my friends and colleagues in the Northeast, where I spent many years, they have truly gone through the brunt. Uh, we believe that we are actually right now approaching or have just approached our peak. Every day, we're kind of looking at those numbers. And because we've been able to successfully flatten the curve, uh, I think um, from learned experiences, really around um, uh, social distancing and uh, our shelter in place, as well as other initiatives that have taken place uh, uh, locally. I think we have 
uh, have the time, one, to prepare, and two, to really uh, support um, the patients who have needed acute care. And so uh, we have not faced the kinds of shortages that have been faced in the Northeast. Do you think that this transition we're going through towards value-based care has done anything beneficial to prepare a hospital system for this pandemic? Or is it more a matter of just falling back on something that the American healthcare system has always done very well, which is take care of people once they've gotten sick? I'm going to state the obvious on some things that are well known across you know, the entire country. There's been a big push to uh, telemedicine capabilities and mobilizing that very quickly. We are so incredibly grateful to the federal government for uh, the waivers uh, that have been put in place, in particular to CMS. But I will say that for those physicians uh, who have been struggling to keep their lights on, it's really interesting that if the care is based on transactions, it's based on fee-for-service, is really based on encounters, they are going to suffer the most. And as we look to the future, I think there will be a greater push towards member attribution, towards really uh, being paid for providing care continuously through uh, the practice resources within primary care and being accountable for the overall care and total cost of care for the patient, uh, but really not relying on individual uh, transactions, whether they're encounters or whether they are procedures with regards to the overall uh, care and uh, health and well-being of the patient. So I think there is a a real inflection point here as a result of COVID-19, where the entire business model is going to be turned upside down and really uh, to benefit the patient. You mentioned the transition to telehealth, and that's been something really quite amazing to see. There have been so many barriers to its implementation for so long. And here at Allidade, where we do our best to support primary care physicians, uh, about a month ago, hardly any of them were using telehealth, and now almost everybody is. And I think in the end, it's going to be a great thing for patients. How has it been on your end, that implementation? Uh, Similar to what you described, I think there's been an amazing uh, adoption uh, at every level, whether it's primary care or specialist. But the other is the practical considerations of um, voice, uh, text, video, um, uh, several methods of communication that are just you know, uh, being made very practically to the patients and members within the network. And so if someone is very challenged and it really has great difficulty uh, to use a um, a smartphone or a a video um, platform, then, you know, we would immediately convert to a phone call um, from the, you know, provider lens. So I think there's been a practical approach to this, but uh, eventually, you know, um, I think we're going to uh, really need to to get much deeper into our overall approach to to virtual care. And what's uh, really uh, great from my personal interest standpoint is a lot of that care will move out of the four walls and uh, be leveraged, whether it's in the home, whether it's for wound care in a in, in a uh, you know clinic environment, or whether it would be in um, the home with uh, the expertise. Uh, using virtual as well as in uh, you know um, in the home um, expertise from a, from a nursing end and coordinating that through uh, our population uh, platform and tools. You alluded to the uh, transactional nature of a lot of uh, the finances of medicine right now, where a, a physician provides care, gets paid for that care, and 
that's obviously not ideal as we move towards value-based care where you want people focused on prevention and on uh, well care and, and just getting paid for keeping people healthy. But as we know right now, the system is still primarily built on a fee-for-service chassis. And the drop in revenue that's happened because of COVID-19 has been really striking as well. We, it's been making news now. I think the, the government and insurance payers are aware of this. But at Elidate, we became aware very quickly with providers telling us that they wanted to stay open for their patients, but there were no patients coming in and they still had to pay rent. They still had to pay their office staff. Um, and it was a pr pretty dramatic drop for practices, most of whom don't have large capital reserves. And I understand that for hospital systems, it's even more stark where hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue for elective procedures have now have now been canceled. Do you have a sense how that's affecting your institution? Uh, there's no question that at every level, uh, whether it's the provider level, the practice level, the hospital level, the system level, everyone has been affected in different ways and some very significantly. What I can say is that the most important thing to me is that patients receive the care they need. And, and from that perspective, uh, recently we've heard uh, from, uh, I think, a nine-hospital uh, system um, report that uh, just came out in publication as well as uh, reports in the Washington Post and uh, a few weeks ago in the New York Times, where have all the heart attacks gone? Where are the strokes? We know that there's been a 38% reduction in uh, semi-activation for ST elevation MI. So it really tells us that there's no drug that can cause a 38% reduction right now. Um, and so these patients are probably having their MIs, having milder strokes and not coming in. And, and that will create its own problems around uh, the complications of some of these acute conditions. And so we want to be very uh, mindful uh, that we really need to get the message out to our patients, to our members in the community, that they do need to come in for acute care that is, uh, uh, you know, potentially serious or life-threatening, and that the hospitals really are the right place for them uh, with, uh, with those kinds of acute conditions. I just want to translate, you mentioned the STEMI, the ST segment elevation myocardial infarctions, which is just a, a classic heart attack. And so you're saying that there's just been much fewer of those right now. Uh, fewer activations of the hospital cath labs, which means that these patients are having their heart attacks, but they're just not having their heart attacks and coming into the hospital. I see. Interesting. Yeah. I, I know you're a cardiologist, so that's your expertise. And I, my guess is that, that every specialist has an example like this right now of, of, uh, of the patients who just aren't presenting. What do you think is happening? To those patients? Yeah, so I mean, we're going to have to, um, you know, get a deeper analysis, especially locally. Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, something we, we are interested to know, but more importantly, to mitigate as we get the message out to our patients. But if they're not presenting for their acute care, it means that they're probably suffering these conditions acutely in their homes and just very fearful of presenting. The risk there is that there would be complications and potentially some of those could be life-threatening or debilitating and that we would want to, to reduce that from happening. So, um, you know, there's talk about, um, you know, uh, what, you know, services would be reopened in terms of elective procedures and so on. I think that's out of scope for, for this discussion because, you know, every place will take their own decisions, you know, based on their local um, uh, environment as well as, uh, you know, coordinating 
uh, with uh, state uh, and and um, you know medical uh, boards and societies as well as uh, uh, within the the state's uh, you know uh, government apparatus. But I think the recognition that at least acute care and the messaging out to patients who need acute care needs to get out and uh, and also simultaneously complementing that with uh, prevention and virtual care and other method methods of of connecting with patients, I think is uh, more needed now than ever. Well, to wrap up, I would just ask you, what what would you recommend as as needed changes right now? You know, if you had a wand. Um, to keep patients safe and the healthcare system intact right now with what we're going through? So uh, there are economic considerations that I think all of us recognize, and there are healthcare considerations that all of us recognize. And uh, I think the sooner we can align those, uh, we will be able to have, um, you know, more uh, focused uh, contact tracing, uh, you know, uh, real flat, continued flattening, I think social distancing is here uh, for the long haul, especially you know in terms of public gatherings and so on uh, of any large size. And so we are kind of going to to have this uh, new uh, sort of way of one being cared for, uh, two of our how we exist and coexist. And so there will be new challenges to mitigate, such as social isolation uh, on a more broader scale. And, uh, and information sharing and so on. So I just think that uh, um, there's so many layers to uh, that question that um, uh, need to be addressed. Well, Dr. Sanjay Doramani, Chief Physician Executive and Chief Operating Officer of Southwestern Health Resources, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me on.